0: So today I'm here with uh, Damien Costello. Do you say, uh, in England we say Costello, but I know in Ireland you say Costello, don't you? No, you got
1: to just like the first time, perfect.
0: Okay. <laughs> so look, um, I guess, how are you, and for those that don't know what you do, how would you explain what you do?
1: Oh, uh, I am an
0: innovation
1: consultant. Uh, I've been uh, a consultant of one type or other for going on three decades now. Uh, I started off in product design, industrial design, I moved to front end innovation and I spent the last number of years working in strategy. Uh, it's not a particularly a word I use that common in dealing with people in Ireland, but I suppose most of my job the last number of years has been as a, as a futurist mm-hmm. by a long term future for organizations
0: okay and so uh one of the reasons we're chatting is based upon the piece that you wrote for congregation um which was um society needs to win hearts rather than minds and you you begin this by saying that in the last 12 months since the last congregation uh you've become an environmentalist so i guess that's an interesting starting point in terms of um what, what what's changed and made you uh Reevaluate your position.
1: So I
0: found myself uh, maybe this
1: after the summer last year, starting to ask some questions about the type of organizations I was working for. I, mm-hmm. I my specific area of expertise is in disruption, and I found that I was working with the establishments, large companies in order to help them prevent them being disrupted, rather than accelerating disruption and and accelerating the change. uh, After the pandemic arrived, after the first lockdown, I responded to an article. Uh, I had spotted an article in Forbes magazine, and I responded to Daniel O'Rea, who Wrote the article whom I didn't know. And we got into a conversation over LinkedIn to begin with. And then uh, we had a number of phone calls. And he told me that he was involved in this initiative, uh, sort of an international initiative, uh, sort of a think tank that was being put together uh, to develop an AI platform that uh, would be used to help policymakers what we now call build back. But then it was to help make better decisions towards the environment and, and towards our countries COP twenty six the the uh, UN climate change climate um, uh, change conference that was coming up in Edinburgh should have be been about now but has been pushed out to the next year. Uh-huh. So uh, through the work that I was doing and uh, one particular theory called uh, fourth turning I got involved in a random conversation in a way that I think a lot of people since got involved in random conversations and started talking to people that they didn't really have any connection with previously and get involved in in, in initiatives that they wouldn't have prior to the pandemic.
0: Yeah, I I think so very much. Um like you say uh, it's enabled I mean like there was a massive upsurge in gardening you know like I think people took stock out uh, of where they were and how they wanted to relate to things around them um so that definitely makes sense um so th- that sounds like you've, you have th- therefore that took you on quite a journey um it, it certainly did
1: um so I got into it because the, the theory that I've been working on. Uh, and the work I was doing predicting the future, going right back about 10 years, had said there was going to be a societal shift somewhere around 2020 plus or five, plus or minus five years. That that we were due to move from the consumerist economy, as we've had since really since World War Two, into something different, into what we've been describing as a post-consumerist economy. We didn't quite know what consumerism meant, but and 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 we're still struggling with that. But we we had identified that, that there was something going to happen around 2020. So we hadn't predicted uh, that we hadn't predicted uh, an event that might catalyze the type of change that we were talking about. But uh, we knew something was going to happen. Very few people would engage in that conversation in a, in a really meaningful way with with me. The clients that I worked with would want to know what their customers were going to want in the future. So uh, I was using this bigger picture vision in order to inform that type of conversations. uh, I suppose congregation was one of the few places where multidisciplinary groups were getting together and having conversations from all walks of life around what the future might hold. And I think congregation was resonating with the same thing that I had seen that there was a change coming and that people who cared needed to be talking about it. And this group now, there's nearly 300 researchers and practitioners all over the world. Pivot Projects, to be quite honest, now I how think of it, Pivot Projects was like a bigger version of congregation. It was very similar, rich, diverse conversations about people who genuinely cared about what was coming next. So in many ways, congregation
0: was a good preparation for engaging in, in pivot projects. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean and like you say, it's about maybe trying to look at things differently. Um, so, You're kind of articulating the challenges we face. Um, I guess the question is, is that can we achieve the changes that we need to do? Uh, I mean, we've seen a rise in a discussion of ethics, values, purpose, be corporations. But can we achieve what we need to do?
1: I remain optimistic. Uh, there's no guarantees. Um, there's no guarantees
0: in the type of innovation
1: work that I do, but I, I'm very optimistic. I think the British has given me great hope in that there's people from all over the world having the same types of conversations uh-huh. and hoping to achieve the same type of things. Uh, but I went into it because of a, a belief that society was in jeopardy. That um, if we didn't do something about how we manage life on this planet, that that there was a risk to life as we know it, to civilization, as we know it. Um, things like if there was a huge environmental event that made, say, large parts of Asia uninhabitable, uh, or so that we'd start to see migrants coming from areas that are flooded or areas that were damaged mm-hmm. by, by storms, etc. So. Whatever the issues that we think we have, or we project about climate disaster, the big risk from all of that is that it will derail society, and that that's not a that's not a good thing in, in, in any in any shape or form. So that dragged me into this group of people, and in order to work on where society was going, it turned out for me that. Society and the environment are, are inextricably linked. Um, the, the, uh, the French economist Thomas Piketty uh, writes uh, about the fact that we are facing two crises. We're facing a crisis of, of inequality in the world, and we're facing a, uh, a climate disaster. And the crisis of inequality from the work that we've been doing in pivot projects, and I lead the economics, law, and politics work straight in pivot projects. Um, from the work that we've been doing, the crisis that we're seeing in that led to the polarization uh, that, that brought us people like Donald Trump and mm-hmm. that accelerated the, the the very topic of Brexit uh, issues that we're facing at the moment. That type of anger and fear. And, and vested interests playing on our angers and our frustrations and our fears uh, is, is a very dangerous place to be. And your original question was about hope and can we solve this? I think we've seen uh, with those particular individuals and those particular um, events, and there are events like that all across Europe. There are events happening all across um, the world, there, there's experiments in, 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 in the authoritarianism and, and all sorts of negative things happening across the world, but I think what has happened is that what's emerged has been so extreme, and so the ignoring of science and the ignoring of the experts has been so disastrous that I think there's an opening now for people to take a step backwards and go, well, actually, we need to be a bit more thoughtful about this. We, 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 need to, we do need to listen to the experts, because listening to these populists uh, didn't really work for us. It didn't seem to be making me any better. They sounded cool when they said that they would drain the swamp or whatever other promises they made to ordinary people. But bar a few tax um, cut bribes, there have been very little uh, positive changes, people don't feel any more hopeful now uh, than they did at the start of the experiment. And maybe we needed to see how bad that type of experiment would be before we could knuckle down and, and uh, address the issues in a more thoughtful manner.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, uh, yes, I would hope so. And I think that is a way to look at it. I mean, because by the end of the US election campaign, uh, you know, he briefly sent, you know, he briefly Trump uh, tried to pin on Biden that. Biden was the pro-science one and he was the anti-science one as if that was a good thing. And yeah. and hopefully, you know, that was shown to be, you know, like, I mean, the, the the level of new life cases went through the roof during this, you know, and is still now. So it shows that, you know, you can't call a virus names. You actually have to deal with it with data and science. So, yeah, look, I'm, I I think your point is a, an, an optimistic way to outline it. Um, if if congregation goes really well for you this year, what's what's what, what's what's a good outcome or a good experience for you from the event this Saturday that's coming up?
1: Well, the I suppose I'm, I'm coming to congregation this year. This is I think I might have missed the first one, maybe the second one. This is my fifth or sixth congregation. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I live in college. so congregation kind of came to me. So. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's not it's not as if I've, I've uh, I, I wasn't able to ignore it and, uh, but uh, I think I have a more rounded appreciation of the attendees I was always interested in the societal and the technology and how technology and society could guide guided towards uh, helping deliver a better future uh, congregation was a great way to have conversations about how society was developing and how it might develop better with people from all walks of life but i was never that interested in the environmental aspect of be honest. Um, when i started to pivot projects i used to joke that, that i'm not here to save the planet i want to give states um, um, but in the in the in the last year uh, the broader aspects of the fact that We have to live within our means on this planet. We have to live within planetary boundaries, as Kate Groth says in in, in her amazing book about uh, donut economics. She says that we have to get into the sort of Goldilocks zone, that we have to um, move within the planetary boundaries. Right now, we're consuming about 1.7 planets per year. So that's unsustainable. But we also have to lift people above the societal threshold, We have to, at the same time as, as moving within inside planetary boundaries, we have to lift those who, whose lives are intolerable above a, a particular uh, baseline. And that double-edged dynamic, that gold-edged zone, we, we can't consume too much, but we can't allow people to have too little that's that's a much more interesting dynamic, and Society 3.0 is the topic this year. I think it's an extremely linked link with, with what we now call, in, in Pivot Projects, this pivot, this societal shift, and mm-hmm. uh, that Society 3.0, we cannot be more respectful to each other without being more respectful to the planet, and we can't be more respectful to the planet without being more respectful to each other. The two are inseparable now, and I think this year I'll 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 appreciate the more rounded conversations. Um, And I think if we can if we can do what we normally do, if we can if we can share a moment of consciousness, if we can share a moment of common energy around the future, and if we can remind people that there's a prize to be had here. This is not all punishment. That there's a prize to be had. In us living within our means, and us feeling that there is a future for our children. Right now, it's in jeopardy. It's in it's in doubt. It's certainly in doubt that our children won't necessarily have as good, if not have better, uh, opportunities than we did. So uh, I think if we can get positive energy moving towards that, wherever we get, get it, in pivot in in congregation. The more of that positive energy we can build up the more momentum we can build to to counter the negative that had its way for the last four or five years.
0: Yeah absolutely and and I think the great thing is is that you know people like you in many areas uh, are realizing this and then bringing their experience and their enthusiasm to it. I mean, because renewable energy is going up in terms of how much is generated, we do have a lot of things that to to create a lighter footprint on the planet. Um, your, your your piece for people that want to read is up on the congregation website. But as well as that, how can people find out more about you and get a sense of what you're working on? Uh, well,
1: um, my own website is uh dot um, but it it talks to my old life. It talks to my offerings to to to, to medtech and innovation. Um, more a more interesting thing to congregation people is pivot project. Plural, all of word, pivotprojects.org. Mm-hmm. There's a, other things out there that could be easily um, mistaken for it. So pivotprojects.org is always open for volunteers. Okay, plug in there. Uh, we are a volunteer group. We've got about 300 people all over the world from more than 30 countries, um, looking at about 24, 23 or 24 different work streams. So looking at uh, what's coming uh, from a load of different angles, and, and having very deep and as positive as possible conversations about these about these things. Um, so that's that's a critical part. But, but now that you mention the the piece. There's there's one other aspect of all of this that's critical, and I think it's it's really important to to talk about right now, and that is <clears throat> the US election was really interesting. The, the the biggest thing that struck me about it was if you look at the county by county breakdown right rather than the states, I would imagine. But I haven't seen the research on this. But I would imagine there's a very, very direct correlation between population density and whether they were blue or red counties. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the ones were almost entirely, let's say, conservative rather than uh, getting practice on it. And that the urban areas were almost entirely liberal. And there's something really important about that. I think the other thing that that, that election brings up is, is, is issues that haven't been dealt with, well, racism in the US and probably around the colonialism around a lot of the rest of the world, here included. And um, when you look at how fractured the world is, um, the biggest thing for me, and I and I watched the election for, I was alternating between Fox News and CNN.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs>
1: so and i want to see both sides and the biggest thing about that is donald trump got the second highest vote ever in yep. u.s history so um, whatever you think about the biden win and there wasn't a the blue wave and there wasn't the, the they hadn't secured both houses and they've reduced their the majority so whatever about biden winning um, trumpism is, is, is at an all-time high trumpism is up and even last time round when he got through uh, there was celebrity value and there was people believing all that he said he was going to do and we didn't fully understand his buffoonery or, or how how politics was going to work but after four years of that man in the white and all the other things that he did he still has received over 70 million votes. So almost half the population in the U.S. Is, are, are feeling aggrieved at the moment as to the winner, winner of that election. And that is something that we have to address. There's something in that space. There's, there's something that appeals to them. Or maybe more importantly, there's something on the left, there's something on, on the more liberal side that repels them. Because you can't imagine that 70 million of them actually are proud of that matter. You can't yeah. imagine that, that, that 70 million of them feel this is the type of individual we want to represent us. So a huge number of them have to be repulsed by something on the other side. And yes. the only way to figure that out is to, to, to talk to, to talk across the aisle, and to to find that common ground. Because you have to imagine that uh most of those 70 million love their children most of those 70 million want a future for their children most of them don't want um to see that the the planet destroyed um so from that perspective we have had more in common with them than we have against each other how do we, how do we have those conversations and how do we really genuinely reach out to them because the vast majority of that 70 million are rural white I have to admit poor or less educated. And those people have their own vulnerabilities. Those people have their own have their own needs. And surely those needs are not the same as the oligarchs and the super rich and the point one percenters that are pulling the strings in that space, and surely we can come up with a, a more authentic outreach to those people than those elites that they're responding to them.
0: Yeah, look, I mean, I, I know what you mean, that, and it, it is a, a huge question that, that that is always interesting. How do the populists? Uh, Gather so many votes when 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 they are not not like the people who they want to vote for them.
1: And I think that the reason for that is, is 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 pretty straightforward. I think the reason for that is um, somewhere. So the the orthodoxy that we're dealing with right now is neoliberalism. Um, it came really into to, to being with Reagan and Thatcher in the uh, in the 1980s Mm -hmm. that's where the phrase trickle down comes from it's this idea that if you want to drive growth you have to give money to the job makers you have to give money to the rich if you want to uh create create wealth and that's uh that's true except it's not for everybody if you give money to the rich you create wealth for the rich yeah Um, and, and, and that all became very obvious after 2008 after the crash when um, the powers that be backed the rich and got ordinary taxpayers to bail out the banks and to bail out the big investors. and If you had money going into it, you came out of the crisis with more money. If you didn't, if you were one of those people who worked for money, as opposed to those people whose money works for them, if you're one of those people who worked for money, you went through a period of austerity, you carried the whole thing on your back. And that, uh, that's the ultimate expression of you know, liberalism. And that's one of the reasons why we think there's a pivot coming, because we're not going to bail them out this time. We're not going to give money back to the banks this time. Uh, at least we won't do it voluntarily. And they will still, they will still try. But the problem, I think, really comes from Tony Blair, New Labour in the UK, and Bill Clinton in the US. You see similar moves all over the, the Western world. Rather than rolling back on the excesses of Reagan Thatcherism, rather than than being the voice of the worker and standing up against the elites, the liberal, the more progressive side of the house, actually pitched in with big money and the political divide went from those who were speaking for the elites to those who purported to be speaking from ordinary people who were in bed with the elites. And since, since the 1990s, and you can see it in uh, the, all of the statistics on inequality, since the 1990s, um, it seems to most people, I think, that, uh, whether, they, whether this is on the surface or not, That both sides, left and right, uh, are elitist. One are intellectual elites; the other just, just elites. That nobody is speaking for ordinary people. In that vacuum and in that confusion, in that frustration, that the people who used to speak for the workers uh, were sold out to big business. New Labour sold out to big business, and the same thing happened. And and it is an absolute neoliberal. uh, runs on an absolutely neoliberal philosophy. We're one of the biggest winners in this globalized neoliberal model. So um, in the middle of all that, ordinary people are being left behind, and ordinary voices are not being heard. And in their frustration, they did an experiment to listen to a new voice, thinking that it might be better. I think many of them have, have, uh, have fully explored whether it was better or not, others have been appalled by but I think the key point now is that ordinary people are nobody is is really talking or listening to ordinary people and that's very very dangerous and that's what we have to do we have to figure out what what really can pull ordinary people together and and build bridges between ordinary people on the, the, the left and right and on the divide because ordinary people have a huge amount more in common with each other. On any political divide than they do
0: with the elites that are pulling the strings right now. Yeah, I think it, I think it's a, a a very relevant observation and very on the money. Um, and I guess uh, thankfully, in one way, this period has provided a time to reflect and question what what's been given to us and the the status quo. Um, look, I think it's a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I think it's great that you have the uh, the piece up on the website to, and therefore everybody can kind of have a look at w- the ideas that people are interested to discuss and exchange uh, feedback on at the weekend. So it's been really good to talk to you. Um, we, we, we will run the article as a guest post and uh, I guess we look forward to seeing what happens uh, we'll include the website and what happens uh, at the weekend but also beyond that going forwards because this is a very real and very important uh, issue that we all have to engage with.
1: Absolutely, and and I think as you as you pointed out, I think this period of uh, this the pandemic has shown that ordinary people can pull together, and they can um, uh, operate for the greater good. And I think those that are pulling the strings didn't understand that and didn't believe that ordinary people could pull together, and that's probably the thing that gives me the most hope moving forward. When it came down to it, ordinary people. Are well capable of looking out for each other. And that's an energy I think that congregation can uh, amplify. And any conversation any of your listeners are, are having out there with their friends or with other groups of colleagues that amplifies that, that positive message, uh, I think is, is really, really important. Uh, this.
0: Yeah, look, absolutely. So thank you very much for your time. And uh, we'll just keep following what you're up to.